0: You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast. Thank you for joining us on this Matt 28 Evening in Discipleship.
1: Tonight um, is titled uh, Discerning the True Jesus in an Age of Deception. Um, We wanted to tie in this first topic with, one, some of the feedback that we've gotten from you guys about wanting to understand better what we believe in light of some of the cults um, around us, particularly Jehovah's Witness and Mormons. Um, We wanted to also do this topic tonight because it ties in so well with what we've been talking about in the book of Revelation with the Antichrist and false teaching and philosophies that are running rampant even today as we lead up to the return of Jesus. So um, it kind of goes without saying, but just as a reminder why this topic is so important, one, false teachers are ever present. We've already talked about that. Um, Antichrists were there during the time of John. They continue to be present uh, to the to the time we're in right now the church age and they will continue to be present until the return of Jesus um, they're also um, they also present themselves in a way where they are hard to identify in 2nd Corinthians eleven thirteen, verse 12 says and what I am uh, doing I will continue to do in order to undermine the claim of those who would like to claim that in their boasted mission they work on the same terms as we do for such men are false apostles, deceitful workmen, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ. And no wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. So it is no surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Their end will correspond to their deeds. I'm going to turn. Um, so Paul says, man, I'm working not only to share the gospel, but also to undermine or Uh, rebuke those who are seeking to spread a different gospel now remember in philippians paul talks about a group of people that don't like him but are teaching a faithful gospel Um, people that kind of rejoiced about him being in prison so paul wasn't friends with everybody that were good gospel preachers but he certainly identified those that he could not align himself with and needed to work against so those guys that rejoiced about him being in prison he says you know what i'm okay with those guys because they're preaching the gospel and it's a good thing these guys, he says, this is wrong. This is distortion of the true gospel, and I will work to, uh, to combat them. But he tells us they're not always easily recognizable, that, that sometimes it can be tricky to know. Now, obviously, somebody shows up at our door and, and has something that identifies them as a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon. Those are easy to identify just because we're conditioned to recognize that. I mean, there's others in our culture that may be less recognizable, right? They present themselves as angels of light, and so we need to be on guard. Last thing that I wanted to kind of mention as a way of introduction for that is that false teachers live around you and don't just knock on your door, right? If you don't hear anything else tonight, man, I want you to understand that one of the most effective things that we can do is not be prepared for missionaries or door-to-door evangelism that comes to our doorsteps, right? Like in our neighborhood, we have Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons that have come in and frequented our neighborhoods. We also have a young married couple that lives in our neighborhood that attends the Mormon church, right? So as much as I want to be prepared to combat missionaries that come to my doorstep, man, like I also need to be faithful to reach out to, to that couple, recognizing, man, they, they, are, they are under the, the belief of false teaching with the church that they go to or the assembly they go to. We can't even really call it a, a church. It's not a gathering of God's people. You may have Jehovah's Witnesses or Mormons living in your neighborhood, Man, they need the gospel as much as the, the thrill that sometimes comes from interacting and arguing with somebody that comes to your doorstep. Man, don't miss the opportunity that may be in your neighborhood, in your apartment complex of people who go to these churches. I study on Saturday mornings. Man, it is full of Jehovah's Witnesses. Man, they go to church, and then they frequent the McDonald's for breakfast. Um, I've seen them at Chick-fil-A as well. Um, so these are not missionaries like the Mormons where they come from out-of-state to come and, and, and evangelize from their perspective this area. These, kids, these people go to church around this area. They work in this area. They live in this area. And they need the gospel. Some of them live in your neighborhoods. Be mindful of that. Man, false teachers are present. The strongest words of condemnation are reserved for those who distort the gospel. In scripture, the strongest words for condemnation are reserved for those who distort the gospel. Galatians chapter 1, a passage I'll read just because it ties in so well with some of the activity that we see at our doorsteps. Paul says, even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. All right, so it's certainly a relevant topic for us tonight to know what we believe, why we believe it. We can accurately defend it and proclaim it to those around us. In your notes that I'm gonna give you, I put what I call the, the KISS principle for evangelism, right? the old acronym for keep it simple, stupid. Okay, There's two questions that I think you just remember these and you're gonna be totally fine when trying to share the gospel. And a lot of you have sat under this teaching of mine. Um, you'll remember these things that we've gone over in discipleship classes before. There's two really crucial questions that you need to be able to ask others as you're trying to share the gospel with them whether they're an atheist, whether they're a, a nominal Christian who may or, not, may or may not be a Christian, their lifestyle doesn't mes- necessarily match up with what they say they believe, or whether they're a full-out member of a cult. These two questions are so important. Uh, the first one ties in with the identity of Jesus, um, dialoguing with an individual about who they believe Jesus was. What do they say about his identity? It'll tell you real quick whether they're engulfed in false teaching or not. Right? There's some clear things in scripture about who Jesus was. I'll give you some notes on that. We won't go into that. Who did Jesus claim to be? Right, like, These are questions. This is a question that you can ask and pick up real quick on where somebody stands. The second question ties into his resurrection. What happened to his body? I've shared with you before, even, even people that don't believe that Jesus is God's son, even people that don't believe in Christianity recognize that the body of a man named Jesus is missing that it's never turned up, that they've never been able to find it, that there's a theory or speculation of resurrection that cannot be disproven because the body cannot be, um, cannot be shown, it cannot be found, okay? Um, so those two questions are important when we think in terms of evangelism. Who do you believe Jesus was? What do you believe happened to his body? Those are great starter questions to really get the dialogue flowing with somebody as you try to interact with them about the gospel. Real quick, I wanted to give you uh, four questions for yourself when trying to identify if somebody's a false teacher or not. And this will lead into our Q&A time. Four questions that you can ask that will help you assess whether someone is a Christian or not. And I tried to make them into an, an order that makes sense. So first off, we come to an understanding of who God is through revelation. Okay, So the first question that needs to be asked according to Scripture is, what does this individual or this movement or this group, what do they say about the sufficiency of Scripture? What do they believe about Scripture? Is it sufficient? Does it tell us all that we need to know about God and his ways? Or do we need to bring in additional revelation, right? 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul talks about the sufficiency of Scripture. He says in verse 15, how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, in, through faith in Christ Jesus. All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. All right? Mormons show up at your door. They're going to want to talk more about the book of Mormon than about the Bible. All right? they want to add to the sufficiency of scripture. They want to add to the revelation of, that we get through the Bible. Do they feel that they need to add to Scripture? The Mormons do. Do they feel they need to change Scripture? All right, The Jehovah's Witnesses uh, want to ch- uh, change and alter some of the translations of God's Word. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 16, Peter talking about Paul says, And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist. And it's not just an accident that they twist them. They twist them to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. These are people that try to change scripture to make it say something that it originally did not say. Do they feel they need to minimize scripture? Second John chapter 9. Everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son. Man, John talks about connecting with Christ through the Word. So Mormons kind of downplay the importance of Scripture because they have the Book of the Mormon that goes alongside of it. But man, I told you about um, how I got introduced to Rob Bell. One of the things that got me out of or unblinded from some of his teaching was when I began to read in some of his books, his perspective on scripture and how it was, it was not sufficient. I and mean, he began to make statements about scripture not being what we believe it to be, right? So do they add to the scripture? Do they change scripture? Do they minimize scripture? What is their view of the sufficiency of scripture? Number two, what is their view of God? What is their view of God? Both from a monotheistic standpoint and a Trinitarianistic standpoint. Monotheistic being how many gods do they worship? pay very careful attention when talking with someone about how many gods they identify being in existence, right? We know from Exodus chapter 20, 10 commandments, that God commands that there are no other gods but him, no other gods, right? 1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 5, for although there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, the Father, from whom all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through him we exist. So do they believe in one God? And then how do they handle the Trinity? How do they explain the Godhead? Trinity, it's a word not used in scripture. It's a word, a doctrine that is core to our faith, right? While scripture doesn't use the word Trinity, and it reveals the Trinity to us. Matthew 28, 19, and 20, Great Commission right we go and teach them all that Christ has commanded baptizing them in the name of the father the son and the holy spirit 1st corinthians chapter 12 verse 4 now there are varieties of gifts but the same spirit there are varieties of service but the same lord there are varieties of activities but it's the same god who empowers them all in everyone we see that trinitarian perspective throughout scripture how do they explain the godhead is it three separate gods Right? Is it three separate gods? Or do they understand the Trinity in the way that we do? That it's a complex thing, but there's one God revealed to us in three persons. The incarnation of Jesus. What do they say about the virgin birth of Jesus? First John chapter four, the passage that we've looked at several times now about Antichrist. I mean, they attack the incarnation of Jesus, the idea that God became man. First John chapter four. Verse 2 and 3 By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. Every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Right? God came in human form, came in the flesh through Jesus Christ. Second John chapter seven, or, or verse seven, sorry. For many deceivers have gone out into the world, those who do not confess the coming of Jesus Christ in the flesh. Such one is the deceiver and the antichrist. So monotheistic viewpoint, an understanding of the Trinity, an understanding of the incarnation, the deity of Jesus is so important. Right? You're going to get into some of these false teachings that don't believe in the deity of Christ in the way that scripture reveals it. Right? John chapter 10, verse 30, one example. John chapter 20, verse 28 is where Jesus solicits and accepts the worship of Thomas. All right, Thomas is bowing down and worshiping the resurrected Jesus, and nowhere do we find Jesus trying to defer that worship. Readily accepts it as God. All right, the salvific work of Jesus, which is the idea that Christ's work is what saves us. He satisfies the demands of the law. First uh, or John chapter fourteen verse six. Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. It's Jesus alone who saves us. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So when we talk about what's their view of God, monotheistic or is it polytheistic? Their understanding of the Trinity, their understanding of the incarnation of Jesus. Do they believe that Jesus is God come in human flesh? Do they believe that Jesus is God, the deity of Jesus? Do they believe that Jesus came to, to earn salvation for us, to achieve salvation for us, to work out salvation for us? The last thing about their view of God, the resurrection of Jesus. Going back to that question I told you to ask, what do they believe happened to his body? Romans chapter 10, verse 9, ties into uh, um, the truth of why the resurrection is so important. It's necessary to be saved. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And the implication is, if you don't believe that Jesus came back from the dead, you cannot be saved. It's a necessary doctrine to believe in. Um, I think Josh may talk about this a little bit more. Jehovah's Witnesses don't really believe in this type of resurrection. They don't believe in this type of bodily resurrection. That's huge. It's huge because 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, this is the gospel that was passed down to me. The gospel of Jesus resurrected from the dead. All right, what's their view of the sufficiency of scripture? What's their view of God? Number three, what is their view of Salvation faith versus works. I'll read one passage to you, Romans chapter 4. I've got a couple other passages written down that you can look at on your own. Romans chapter 4, verse 4. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted as righteousness. Right? Faith versus works. What is the grounds for our salvation. This is where you have to really be, care, be careful and be aware of the Catholic doctrines. Man, and I, and I try to steer clear of saying that Catholics aren't Christians or Catholics can't be Christians because I recognize individual churches can be very different, right? And so I don't like to lump people into certain beliefs where it may not be true of all. But man, if they attend a Catholic church where works are stressed over faith, I mean, they're, they're not Christians, they just can't be Christians because of what scripture has to say. So it's not a question of are Catholics Christians or not. The question is, can you believe that works uh, contribute to your salvation in saving you and justifying before, you, but before God? If that's the case, then, then that's not Christian theology. That's not gospel theology, all right? What's their view of salvation? Lastly, what is their view of sanctification? What's their view of sanctification? First John talks a little bit about this and some of the false teachings and distortions surrounding the teachings of Jesus. First John chapter one, verse eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us, right? This would be an attack on the doctrine of the sin nature of mankind, that we are born into sin, to say that we don't have any sin. And that's deceiving ourselves. The truth is not in us. If we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. There's also the false teaching of antinomianism, which means you can be saved and then live however you want to. First John 1 John 1.6, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Right? Our life is supposed to match up with what we say we believe. Um, so those are some, some, some things that really can help target uh, the, the idea of a false teacher as you kind of think through with, Man, is this a false teacher? Is this a cult? Uh, what's going on here? What's their view of the sufficiency of scripture? Man, you start reading some of these books that some of these authors put out, you'll find out real quick their views on the sufficiency of scripture. What's their view of God? Monotheistic, Trinitarianism, incarnation of Jesus, deity of Jesus, the work of Jesus for salvation, the resurrection of Jesus. What's their view of salvation? Faith versus works. What's their view of sanctification? Um, The fact that obviously we can't be perfect to say that we have no sin. We're liars. We're born into a sin nature, but we also can't flip it to the other side and say, man, we're saved so we can live however we want to. I mean, that's, that's a false teaching as well. Can I get uh, Jesse and Adam to pass these out? I don't know if I think we have maybe enough for everybody, maybe one per family um, to start with. These are the notes that I just went over with you to kind of introduce our Q&A time tonight to get us started on the aspects of false teachings. Second page is the first lesson that I ever wrote for discipleship that's focused on those two questions the identity of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus. All the blanks and stuff are filled in for you just to kind of read through. Next page is why, why is everything based off of Jesus? What makes him special? Why do we answer questions about him um, versus somebody else? So there's some answers there about why Jesus is so significant in our understanding of our theology, our understanding of false teaching. This page may help you significantly for tonight. This is a a quick overview of what some of the world religions say about Jesus, and I even got Josh's help today to um, update the Jehovah's Witness description um, based on his studies, so that should be fairly accurate to some of the things that he'll present tonight. Um, but that gives you an idea of what Jehovah's Witnesses say, what Mormons say, the Church of Scientology, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, and Islam, what they believe about Jesus, what makes them, according to John, anti um, that they are they are a distortion of a theology of Jesus revealed in Scripture. And then the last page in that packet of notes goes along with those two questions, um, particularly about the identity of Jesus. And I gave you the things that Jesus says about himself. If his claims were false, kind of leads you to a conclusion. If you say his claims were true, leads you to a conclusion as well. Some of you all have seen that before, but I wanted to give that to you again as just a, a resource to take home with you tonight. All right, I'm going to invite Tyson and Josh to come now and continue our discussion through Q&A. Again, this is an important topic because of what we're learning about in Revelation. This is a prevalent thing going on with Antichrist, always here until Jesus comes back. just want to be best prepared for that interaction that may come to us. Um, So I just wanted to kind of open us up here, uh, just give
0: an introduction to how I came to know this uh, fine young gentleman here. Uh, His name is Josh Hoffman. He came to Trinity, and he actually was a uh, substitute teacher for our school last year and had the opportunity to have him sub for my class uh, and get to know him. Uh, A friendship developed over our planning periods, interacting. Um, There was one planning period. I don't think you even maybe remember this, but he was upstairs in our teacher's lounge, and I came by and was just printing something mindlessly, and he uh, was reading the Book of Mormon, and I was like, what has Adam done? Like, why Why is this Mormon guy, like, here teaching? Um, but I asked him, I was like, hey man, what are you doing? He was like, oh, I'm just kind of making a layman's commentary for how to understand Mormonism for Christians. I just, like, have a lot more time to do all the research for people like you who don't have that time, and I was like, wow, you're awesome. So, uh, yeah, we get to have the privilege of getting together. And he's helped me out a lot. He's come over uh, to my house and we've had discussions um, about this topic specifically with Mormonism, just because of the amount of Mormons that I interact with in our subdivision. So anyways, Josh, before we kind of get into this, just maybe for these guys that don't know you, obviously just maybe uh, share a little bit about yourself and maybe how you, your experience has been over the years with the cult.
2: Yeah. So, um, I became a Christian when I was 19 in college and uh, that was a very dramatic experience for me um, having grown up in the church but functionally agnostic didn't really believe in, in much of a God but if there was one then he didn't have much of a problem with me right? Um, became a Christian when I was 19 uh, at West, it was at West Georgia over in Carrollton and uh, immediately my first thought which maybe wasn't my best one uh, was uh, well I don't know what I even believe, but I do know that I need to share the gospel. I know, you know, what Jesus said in Matthew twenty-eight. I need to share the gospel with people. I need to make disciples. So I need to learn what they believe, though, to do that. So I entered into the philosophy program because I didn't know what else I was going to do, and I ended up getting a degree in philosophy. And through that, um, had lots of interactions with lots of different worldviews. And one of those really early on was a pair of Jehovah's Witnesses that my roommate had invited over, but then he uh, had a scheduling conflict, i.e. he forgot, oh, I have to work during that hour that I invited them over. So he calls me and says, hey, are you going to be home? I'm pulling up right now. Uh, I got some Jehovah's Witnesses coming over. You mind taking care of that for me? (laughs) And so I, sure. Uh, And I just taken my first uh, semester of Greek. And so I was like, all right, I'm ready. So I sit down with these two guys in my living room and open up my Greek New Testament, go to John 1.1 and go, there's no article here. It says that Jesus is God, not a God. You're wrong. It didn't go well. Um, don't do that. <laughs> uh, and it ended uh, in a very dramatic way because I was just so frustrated with them. Um, where I ended up yelling at them, uh, <laughs> told them to stop blaspheming my Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and leave my house, and because uh, they just kept saying over and over and over and over, uh, you know, he's he's not God, he's his created you know being, and he just kept they just kept going and going and going, and it was like, how can you not see it? It's right here in Greek, you know. And it didn't go well. Um, so, so that's kind of what started me on my road. Is like, all right, that's obviously not how you do this, and, and as I Both matured uh, in my faith and matured in general, uh, uh, and started to really actually develop a real passion for reaching the people and not just shattering their worldview, which uh, is not really that hard to do. I mean, um, literally, Battlestar Galactica is based on Mormonism. Like, it's actually the same story. like, it's it's science fiction, most of it. It sounds crazy, and, it's, and it is, and it's not difficult to just kind of blow the thing up from the inside. But what is difficult is doing that in a loving way that is consistent with your Christian walk. And so that's what I got kind of a passion for doing and, and also found that, you know, it, and if I want to go into ministry and I'd be teaching people, then I can equip them to reach out these people as well because i i realized really quickly i can't do this on my own (laughs) um i I just can't um so
0: one thing josh i know um from my experience i I haven't had a yelling fit yet Um, but one thing that i used to do was not even talk to them see them at the door and then kind of close it because of a verse that i was holding on to really tightly in second john i wrote it down here it says everyone who goes on ahead and does not abide in the teaching of christ does not have god so whoever abides in the teaching has both the Father and the Son, but if anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not even receive him into your house, or give him any greeting, for whoever greets him takes part in his wicked works." And at, my, at that time, my understanding was, I can't even talk to him, and if, if he even dares to step his foot into my house, like I'm bringing this curse upon myself because of this verse. So I've, I've grown to understand that passage a little bit better. Uh, are you familiar with kind of like the context here and what that's talking about? And how should we understand that? Should we, I mean, why should we even care? Why are we talking about this? If they're false teachers that we shouldn't have anything to do with and just shut them out of our doors, according to this passage, then obviously there's no need for an eye like this. But what is it? How do you take that?
2: Yeah. So, I mean, the first place I would go with that kind of text is, well, you know, Jesus, uh, was homeless during his ministry, but he did go into the homes of, uh, people who did not profess him as the son of God, who didn't profess him as the Christ. Um, and John was with him. And so we, we can pretty safely assume, I think that John isn't saying, don't let unbelievers into your house. Um, but that in the larger context of, of what he's kind of getting at, um, is that there, there are people who are claiming Christianity and, um, are are coming in and trying to actively like coming into like churches and trying to preach under the guise of a of a genuine preacher, but they're preaching a false gospel. That's not what the Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses are doing. They're not coming into our local churches and trying to deceive. Like they're not coming in here tonight. I, I'm not a Mormon, <laughs> right? Um, yeah, <laughs> uh, you know th- that's not what they're doing. They've got their own religion, their own organizations, their own meeting places that, that they do that in. To you know, with themselves now, are they coming to evangelize you? Yeah, um, but by you bringing them into your home, you, you're not, uh, you know, you're not supporting their ministry. Um, financially, you're not giving them, you know, a place to stay. You're like, like while they're there doing their thing. That's kind of more what this is about. Like, like an itinerant preacher coming into town and he's preaching a false gospel and you're like oh yeah well, while you're in town you can stay with me i'll feed you clothe you the whole thing that's more kind of because then you're 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 like financially and actively supporting his his ministry right yeah
0: so same thing for me is i've, I've come to learn that as well is that inviting them in my home with the attempt to try to reach them and to expose this theology as false and, and direct them to the christ is no different in essence than me doing that with a co-worker who's an atheist right we're trying to reach the lost, and so when they come to our doors, or if we interact with them in just uh, public, because if you're part of our church, and you serve with us uh, in the events during the city, you will notice that as we're picking up trash, the Mormons uh, are very active during these days, so I've had, there's been two or three times I've been working with Dave or Will, and not been picking up trash, because I've been in like a two-hour conversation with a Mormon, which obviously always feels like it doesn't really go anywhere, but there's there's a, there's a an there's an opportunity that each of us in this church has, more than we may realize. Uh, before we go into the specific theological differences between them, and we have a couple of videos, just very brief videos to kind of help demonstrate that, I did want to give you an opportunity, though, to kind of tie in the fact, just maybe explain a little bit about our their culture, and compared to maybe our culture, so that we don't um, come at this from the very beginning, just writing them off as you know, crazy lunatics that have their own views and their own crazy thoughts. And just maybe give us an idea of what what are the Mormon missionaries, when they show up to our door, what culturally should I be aware of from the very beginning before I even open my mouth?
2: Yeah, so uh, they have uh, a a church culture, uh, almost a kind of um, parallel culture to a lot of our church culture, especially in the Bible Belt. Um, they, they have studies like this they have discipleship training nights they have uh, you know potlucks they have all of these kinds of very similar uh, almost identical things um, but they also have some some very unique things as well so uh, you know you, if you've seen more missionaries you know that they've got name tags the guy says elder such such and such and the girl says sister such and such they call a bunch of 18 year old kids elders um the reason they do that is because of, of, you know, they have theological reasons for that. But, um, you know, if, you, if you're if you talking to a, a Mormon elder and you ask him his first name, he'll tell you, my first name is Elder. And you have to push him a little bit to get him to tell you his real first name. And, but the thing is, like, they haven't been called their first name in maybe two years. And so one of the things, like, like those kinds of cultural things are things that you can pick up on, like... Uh, with more missionaries, especially it's 18 to 21 year olds, typically, sometimes you'll find older guys, but you know, typically it's around that age and, and girls as well. Um, and they uh, are away from home for probably the first time in their life. Uh, they are forced to wear suit and tie every day and ride a bicycle in whatever weather they're in. Uh, they used to not have access to the internet. Now they do. Um, That's a recent change. They have Facebook now. They're allowed to use Facebook. That's really great for us. It was really hard to get in touch with them. They had these little flip phones that they shared between pairs. It was really hard to keep in contact. Now they have personal Facebooks you can message them through. They each have a phone. It's completely changed the way you can reach out to missionaries. Um, But but they have this culture um, of uh, almost a kind of Christian culture, but... It has all of the kind of weird cultic elements to it, like the temple rites for Mormons. They have these big fancy temples, uh, which are different from the places they meet in. If you see a thing that says Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints on the sign, that's probably not a temple. That's uh, they're ca- It's called a meeting house or a ward. Um, they don't call it a church. They have meeting houses, wards, and they have temples. They don't have churches. Same thing with Jehovah's Witnesses. They don't have churches. They have kingdom halls. So if you ask them, like, you know, where do you go to church? They might say, they might correct you, and that's fine. Um, but that's something to be aware of. Like, it's not, did you go to church on Sunday? Did you go to, you know, meeting on Sunday? Did you go to the gathering on Sunday? Or whatever. Um, they, just, they have a, a, their own language, the same way that Christians do. We have our own language about things. Um, I think there's a funny video that the, his name is John something. Some of you might know who he is. He puts the videos on Facebook kind of making fun of Christian culture, kind of tongue-in-cheek. Tongue what is it? Yes, him. I think it's, he has a video of like Christianese and that's a really (laughs) informative video because like someone, it's just, here someone like stringing a long, you know, sentence of Christianese together. The Mormons, Jehovah's Witnesses do the same thing. The problem is that uh, a lot of their words are the same ones we use. And so that introduces a whole other uh, issue. Right. Okay. So
0: jumping right off of that, let's head into that kind of explaining some of the theological differences between the two because one thing that I've found is not helpful is whenever I'm talking with a Jehovah's Witness and I get them confused in my mind and I'm like, oh, uh, this is what you believe, right? And I start describing Mormon and stuff. It, it's a very quick turnoff for both of them to confuse the two. So theologically, there's a, an apologist named James White and there's a, uh, a, a quote that we're both familiar with where he says, dealing with Mormonism is a broad, broad spectrum of topics. But we only really have to know them this deeply. Conversely, though, dealing with Jehovah's Witnesses is a very narrow range of subjects that we have to know really, really deeply. And I've found that to be absolutely true. Mormonism is just all over the place. But if I can get a pretty good, firm grasp on the basics, we can have a really great conversation with a Mormon. You can't walk into a Jehovah's Witness conversation with that same mindset. Like, I can know just a little bit about this because they they are prepared and they, they have it rooted in Greek and all this kind of stuff. So um, let's just take them one at a time briefly with the time that we have before we open it up for some specific questions about how this looks. Let's talk a little bit about Jehovah's Witnesses. What are the distinctives to Jehovah's Witnesses? How can we recognize them? Um, what are their views um, on maybe God the Father, and as Adam was mentioning earlier, on Jesus? And then we'll watch a video to kind of back up what you're saying.
2: Yeah, so um, if a Jehovah's, if you ever ran into a Jehovah's Witness, which you probably have at some point in your life, um, you probably received some kind of tract or pamphlet. And you'll, you'll say, you know, printed by the Watchtower Bible Society, um, which is another name for their, you know, group. Um, and you'll usually find that it's very depressing often. Uh, the pamphlet will be something about, like, when will the pain and suffering end in the world? Or, uh, you know, what about what's, what's with all of the evil and bad governments? And, and you'll notice a lot of, like, language about governments and, and things like that. So they have this unique view on uh, the kingdom of God and what that is. And for them, um, not really any individual Jehovah's Witness that you meet actually believes that they're going to be with Jesus, which sounds very strange to us, right? Uh, Because that's like what our whole religion is about. You know, Jesus says eternal life is knowing God and Jesus Christ whom he has sent. And so we think of that kind of idea and we go, that's, that's crazy. This is completely incompatible with the Bible. But, um, it's fitting that you guys have been preaching the revelation because the, um, section with the 144,000 worshiping around the throne and the great crowd of witnesses, they actually use that, uh, as definitional for their, the kingdom of God. So for them, only 144,000 people are, will become spiritual beings and be with Jesus the rest of us, uh, if we're Jehovah's Witnesses, um, enter into a kind of probation period when Jesus comes back, and He sets up a thousand-year kingdom. And during that, they often call it a government, and they, and they they say it pretty much be very similar to like a democratic republic, like we have now. Just Jesus is the president, um, and yeah, it's 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 very it's very strange. And during that time, uh, you have to be obedient to His laws. And at the end of the thousand years, you take a test. And If you fail the test, you get destroyed. Pass the test, you get to stay forever. But on that planet, and then Jesus and 144,000 ascend back into heaven. And you just hang out on the earth without him. So most of his witnesses you meet don't think they're part of that 144,000. Um, it's a very small group. They've self-identified themselves Um Throughout the kind of 1900s uh, span, Um, they stopped reporting when someone, the way they identify themselves is that they have a big communion gathering every year. And if you take communion, you're saying, I'm part of the 144,000. No one else is allowed to take communion. Um, So uh, that is... Uh, The the way that they understand kind of kingdom, the kingdom of God and and government and and things like that. So you'll hear a lot about government. That's a big emphasis for them because they see the kingdom as analogous to a government in our time today. So what about
0: Jesus? Um, I've had conversations with many Jehovah's Witnesses about the person of Jesus, and they're very quick to say, hey, we're Christians, and we believe in Jesus, the same Jesus that you do. So as we press, we find that Jesus is very different. So how did they, what's their view of uh, God the Son?
2: So in Jehovah's Witnesses' view, uh, Jesus um, is the first created being, being of Jehovah God. And you'll notice also that um, when you're talking with Jehovah's Witness, this is just kind of a, a quick side remark, um, it's helpful for them to understand you better if you use the word Jehovah when referring to God the Father. Um, it, it, it's helpful for them because they don't think that you know that word. Uh, they don't think that it's in your Bible anywhere. And for most of us, it's not right. We don't use King James at all. Um, even though it's, it's just been turned into the small caps Lord. Right. And that just stands for Yahweh in, you know, in the old Testament. Um, but they think that the modern Bible translations took it out, took the word Jehovah out of the Bible completely. Um, and, and, and so it's helpful for them kind of getting past that language barrier. If you just say Jehovah God, Um, So for them, so moving forward, I'll use that to kind of just associate the two. Um, So for them, Jehovah creates only one thing in the beginning, and that's Jesus. But he's not called Jesus. He's called Michael the Archangel. And then Michael the Archangel creates everything else. And then later on, when it comes time for for Jesus to, to, you know, come into the world, Michael the Archangel, actually, he, he's a spirit being of a kind. He's not human. So, for them, uh, humans are not um, both immaterial and material beings, body and soul kind of thing. Uh, for for uh, Jehovah's Witnesses, humans are pure matter. And then the spirit beings are spirit, and those things can never come into contact. So, the incarnation, like Adam was saying, is super important on this issue sp- sp- uh, specifically. Because in the incarnation, God, who is spirit, meets uh, flesh in, in, a, in a kind of union of two natures. Um, oh, oh. It's time for my kids to go to bed. <laughs> um, so, Michael the Archangel, when it comes time for Jesus to come about, uh, vanishes essentially. He's annihilated. But his personality and memories are recreated. Uh, and placed into this man Jesus and then when Jesus dies he ceases to exist but his personality and memories are recreated into Michael the Archangel again but he just keeps Jesus name so there's no continuity between them really and this carries over into about us because when we die we too cease to exist and that for them resurrection means recreation from the mind of God and the memories and personality are placed into a new physical form from his from his memory of who you were. Okay,
0: good. So, just kind of keeping it, I know this is a lot of head, like, what in the world? I don't even know how to traverse this. Just maybe what's a, before we watch this video and we can kind of see some of the, the way that they use the same lingo and the same stuff like that, what's just a quick, like, they respond, yes, we believe in Jesus and you're like, yeah, but you don't believe that He's the creator of the world, and they're like, actually, we do believe he's the creator of the world. Jehovah, you know, created him, and then he created everything else. And then you realize you're kind of stuck because you thought that they're different, Jesus, but they sound the same. So, how do, where, how do you how do you navigate that? Where do you go? Where's the first place in scripture that you're thinking this would be helpful to maybe just go uh, to talk about Jesus? Uh,
2: yeah. So, um, f- because for them, uh, the divine name. Jehovah is only associated with, uh, for them, the father in their mind, right? Uh, going to places where Jesus identifies himself as the Yahweh of the old Testament. That's where you want to go with Jehovah's witnesses. Now you have to keep these things straight in your head though, because with Mormons, you actually don't want to do that because they will agree with you that Jesus is the Yahweh of the old Testament. So, um, it, that, that's a, a bit of an important thing, but yeah. So, um, the, the gospel of john i mean don't go to john 1, one. please don't do that uh they're ready for that they've heard it a thousand times at a thousand doorsteps and just
0: to, uh, just to be clear that john one one is where in our scriptures it says in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was god but in their translation it's in the beginning was the word the word was with god and the word was a god correct and it's just a continual argument about whether or not the article was there in greek or whatnot and exactly
2: prepared. yep and, and and they're ready for that um so, so, but, but you can go, you know, the, the, I am statements of Jesus. Those are good places to, to just go in and say, look, you know, Jesus is saying here, like when, when he says, I am dudes fall to the ground. Like just, just the phrase itself, like when they're going to arrest him, he says, uh, that, are you Jesus? I am he. And they fall over. No one else who identifies himself in that way causes that kind of response or reaction um, just by speaking that out loud the you know the, the very nature of things responds to him uh, that is not a mere man and yet to remember uh, that when Jesus is G- the man Jesus that's all he is for them. He's a perfect man but he's only a man and so uh, they have a really hard time dealing with, his identifi- identification of himself as uh, the I am. Um, so so you know, that's that's the place you can go. The second place you want to go is Isaiah 40 to like, I think it's like 48 or so. This is a trial of the false gods. And I give you a wide range there because I would encourage you to just go read that whole section of Isaiah. Because Any cult, any cult, that section of Isaiah is good to just be familiar with Uh, to to, to know like the back of your hand, different things that it says um, because it just stresses over and over again um, the supremacy of Yahweh over all other beings and his uh, sovereignty in creation, his direct action in creation. So they believe that Jesus made everything else. Isaiah says that... (coughs) Yahweh made all things. No gods before him, none after him. Uh, That he stretched out the heavens and the earth by his own hand. Not by the hand of a created being. By his own hand. So those are important texts that you can go to. Awesome. Let's uh, show this to kind of give you an idea of how similar they might sound when they
0: come. And hopefully this will work on my computer here.
2: Who are Jehovah's Witnesses?
1: We come from hundreds of ethnic and language backgrounds, yet we share common beliefs and goals. We worship Jehovah, the God of the Bible and the Creator of all things. We are Christians, so we follow the teachings and example of Christ Jesus.
2: Like Jesus, we strive to be honest, peaceful, law-abiding citizens of the land where we live.
0: Even more important, we all follow Jesus' example by regularly spending time helping people learn about the Bible and God's Kingdom.
2: Because we witness or talk about Jehovah God and His Kingdom, we are known as Jehovah's Witnesses.
0: Each week, we meet together at Kingdom Halls to learn about God and His Word, the Bible. Our meetings are free and open to the public. We welcome you to visit us. To find a Kingdom Hall near you, please accept an invitation from one of Jehovah's Witnesses or use the online search feature at JW.org. Awesome. So uh, a lot of that sounds really good, right? A lot of it does. So maybe what are some things that we should have heard there if we were a little bit more familiar with what they're saying?
2: Yeah. um, I mean, so you heard like we follow the teaching of Jesus, you know, we share his message. Um, one of the things you may have noticed, they said, we strive to be like Jesus and be law-abiding ci- law-abiding citizens. They put a lot of emphasis, again, the whole idea of this, like, government structure and the government being very similar uh, to the ones we have today is a big emphasis. Um, one of the things they mentioned was that we teach people about Jesus and his kingdom. And so so that emphasis on kingdom of government Um you probably know it's like we meet weekly at our kingdom hall, right? Um, so that's just, but, you know, a lot of that stuff we would say, yeah, we we also want to follow the teachings of Jesus and uh, follow his commands and tell people about him. We're on the same page, but you've got a different Jesus and you've got a different Bible. Um, and, and so that's where we start to, you know, come into conflict. Good,
0: good. So, one thing, just as we transition away from them, to keep in mind, as Josh mentioned, is being familiar with Isaiah 40 through 48, that passage really well. Uh, you also mentioned the Gospel of John, just knowing that, knowing the claims that Christ made about himself. I've also found it it doesn't work all the time, especially with those that know the reason for some of the grief <coughs> behind it, but I've found that going to passages where people are specifically worshiping Jesus causes problems. Usually, it, it's it's a hard thing to explain when you know uh, people are falling down before Jesus because some of the things that he's doing, and it's it's worship. Um, so lots of passages like that, that would be good. But for the sake of time, so that we can leave some time for, uh, for any questions, let's transition very quickly to Mormons. Um, it's, a, it's a totally different mindset change, isn't it? Like we're still talking about the same gospel message that needs to be delivered to them, but they're coming in from a totally different worldview, um, a totally different religion. We're going from um, a religion that's very monotheistic in, in nature, being in one God, right? To Mormonism, which we're going to find out is the most polytheistic religion in the world, Uh, even more than Hinduism and the thousands of gods that they worship. And that sounds surprising. You're like, no, how could that be the case? But Josh will explain very briefly. But just, this is only 60 seconds, but I wanted to show you um, uh, another video with the same lingo that they have here.
2: Scene seven, take one. Marker. God. Jesus Christ. The Holy Ghost. Agency. Making mistakes. Forgiveness. Grace. Mercy. Love. Unconditional love.
1: Repentance. Redemption. Redemption. Resurrection.
2: Scriptures. The New Testament. The Old Testament. The Book of Mormon. Old prophets. Living prophets. Inspiration. Baptism. By immersion. Singing hymns. Temples. Marriage.
0: Obedience. Being good. Good husbands. Good fathers.
2: Good mothers. Good daughters. Good sons. Good neighbors. Good citizens. Helping others. Serving others. Lifting others. Welcoming others. Big families. Small families. The human family. Eternal families. Genealogy. Laughter. Minivans. Hard work. The South Day. Church. Activities. Miracles. Honesty. Integrity. Chastity. Caring for our bodies. Imperfections. Charity. Compassion. Joy. Joy. Joy.
0: Awesome. So they have about sixty seconds of the things that they value and believe. Um hopefully that will um, so, one thing that, but interesting, though, is that that guy, Genealogy, that said Genealogy, I think that's the same voice from Ancestry.com, isn't it? It, it might be. It, it, they, they um, they you notice that. Do. The Mormons do, by the way, as Josh may mention, own most of, if not all, Ancestry documents. Um, the, anytime you do an Ancestry.com search or anything like that, it's owned by the Mormons, and there's a reason for that. Um, so really quickly, just, I know they didn't say this is what we believe, but they said a lot of the words that we would agree with, besides probably maybe the Book of Mormon, and uh, all of the other things that might have been a little bit more challenging to pick up on. So let's just take a few, maybe the bigger ones, and let's unpack what they mean by that.
2: Yeah, so um, you may have noticed you know, in the first string, uh, they said God, Jesus, and they said Holy Ghost, right? Um, the reason they say Holy Ghost is because they use the King James Bible pretty much exclusively. So if you really want to get invested in reaching out to Mormons, um, Get familiar with the King James. Uh, that's what they'll be quoting from. That's what they'll be using in their Bible studies with you. Uh, and if you can get a hold of one of theirs, uh, they have little study notes in them that tells you how they're, gives you a hint as to how they're going to interpret a, a specific passage. Uh, some of them even have references to their other scriptures that they use to interpret the Bible. Um, so, uh, yeah, so that's the first thing kind of pick up on. The second thing, right after that, a guy said, Agency. We believe in agency. And this is very big uh, in Mormonism, uh, this idea of agency. Uh, the, the common terminology for it would be free will. But they mean something very specific by it, uh, that um, every single human is given uh, agency in such a way that they more or less have Uh, Complete authority over their own destiny. Now, destinies for them lead you to one of a couple places, and one of those being a a god of your own planet, and that's why that's important for them, right? Because if you're a god of your own planet, then you have to have complete autonomy, complete authority over yourself, right? Um, So, since we're gods in training, agency is a big deal. And so, uh, if you're uh, like me, and um, a Calvinist, don't talk about Calvinism with them. <laughs> it goes very poorly. Um, so th- that's, you know, one of the things that you notice. Agency, what does that word mean? Why is why, do they, why is that a big deal? Um, another thing that they mention... Uh, it, living it, prophets. Yeah, that's a great one. So uh, you, you say one guy said old prophets, and the next one said living prophets. And so they have this thing called the Quorum of the Twelve. And basically that is... Uh, they believe that they have 12 living prophets or apostles and they all live in utah in salt lake city um in this giant temple if you've ever seen a picture of it the building is huge it's got like a pool on the top and a helicopter pad and um as you can tell they, they've got they're doing a new like social media push with these high quality videos they've got so much money for being such a small religion um and this quorum of the 12 uh are Living prophets, uh, they are the infallible interpreters of Scripture. So if you're familiar with the issues of the Reformation, you know that this was one of the issues of it, was that the magisterium was, were the infallible interpreters of Scripture, and people were not allowed to come to a different interpretation. They weren't allowed to disagree with the magisterium. The Mormons are in the same boat. They're not allowed to disagree with the interpretation of the Quorum of the Twelve when it comes to their interpretation of Scripture. So they have these living prophets that they think that are necessary to even read your Bible. And so even their views of Jesus, going back to kind of what Adam was talking about too,
0: is, and correct me if I'm wrong from my um, interactions with them, Jesus is um, a first, uh, maybe the firstborn is the firstborn of Jehovah. uh, I'm sorry, not Jehovah. See, I'm getting them mixed up. Elohim. Of Elohim, right, Uh, who was a man on another planet at one point who was obedient to his gospel laws at the time, was exalted to the highest state. He is now a God, and he um, had a spirit wife of many potential lives, multiple, multiple lives, and one of which Jesus was born first, and then Satan is his brother, and then all of us as well in addition. So we could obviously talk about this for hours, and this is a little plug for Secret Church. We will have that opportunity to do that with David Platt for hours, into the wee hours of the night. Tonight is not one of them, but um, real quick kind of before we open up the door to that is when a Mormon is there, just like Jehovah's Witnesses, you've given us Isaiah, passages in John, different things like that to kind of keep in mind. When we're dealing with a Mormon and their particular views of Jesus, where do we need to go? What are some uh, scriptural ideas that we need to keep hold of as we head into that?
2: So the Mormon that comes to your door and the Mormon uh, that's your neighbor are very different. Um, the, the Mormons from Utah and the Mormons from Georgia are very different. Um, they, they, they call Utah the factory. That's their name for it. And, and it's because – it it is i mean if you look at like a church map um on google or something for utah you've got lds meeting halls just everywhere in like 10 protestant churches um and it's crazy um so the missionary at your doorstep uh is prepared differently than your neighbor because they have the same issue that we do in the larger christian culture and that's nominalism they are nominal Mormons that don't know any of the things that I just explained at all. They don't know about the Quorum of the Twelve. They don't know about living prophets. They don't know about, uh, you know, the prophecies of Joseph Smith. They don't know a lot of those things. They don't know that, um, uh, you know, the things that they're supposed to believe. They don't know that Elohim was once a man on another planet who, by obedience, became a god. They don't know that Jesus is, you know, became a god by his. They don't know a lot of this stuff. So you have to be careful uh, in assuming knowledge on behalf of the Mormon you're talking to. I haven't into this with Jehovah's Witnesses before because typically they are so well studied because their door-to-door is something that they, one, have to do to retain membership. Um, to retain a, an active member status, you need 10 hours a week, I think, or 10 hours a month. It's somewhere in that, in that range. Um, and they have ranks leading up to 30 hours a week. There are very few that do that much. Um, so they're in a different category. Mormons don't assume any kind of knowledge of Mormonism on behalf of the Mormon. Um, another apologist who deals with Mormons a lot, Jeff Durbin, often says that sometimes you have to convert the Mormon to Mormonism first um, because they don't even know what they're supposed to be believing. And sometimes they find it so insane that they just abandon Mormonism altogether, but they don't. Have anything to fill the void with, and that's where it's so important. To you, you've got to know who Jesus is, positively from Scripture. You've got to know the Trinity. You've got to know the Gospel. Um, and, and so, like you know, we said earlier with Mormons, you've got a broad range of subjects. But um, the ones you need to know deeply are the Gospel, who is Jesus, all the things that you know. Adam was explaining earlier. Um, If you know those deeply, you'll be ready for any Mormon. Um, Places that you'll want to go, that they're ready for, but you want to still go there, um, are things like justification by faith. They will respond to that every time, missionary or probably even not missionary, by going to James chapter 2. So you need to know a positive interpretation of James chapter 2 when he says, we see that a man is not justified by faith alone, you need to know why that doesn't mean what they think it does, which is that we're not justified by faith at all, right? Um, so, so that's a the place they'll go. If you go to John 1, 1, they'll go to, um, i trying to remember the exact place in John, where Jesus, said, Jesus quotes a psalm to the Pharisees and says, don't the scriptures say that you are gods? And they'll go there. So you need to know why that doesn't mean uh, a bunch of little gods, you know, flying in space and owning our own planets. Um, so, so mainly, you want to go to the text um, that you're familiar with, that you're comfortable with, that clearly explain the gospel. A lot of these guys, they're nominal people. They haven't read their Bibles. If they've read anything, they read parts of the Book of Mormon. Most of them aren't even familiar with the Book of Mormon. Missionaries are trained for three weeks before they're sent on a two-year mission. Three weeks. That's it. So um, you'll probably know more about Mormonism if you get invested in reaching out to Mormons than your Mormon friends do, and that's okay, but you have to keep that in mind.
1: Great.
0: So uh, before we open up for questions for Josh and for even Adam, before uh, we've only got a brief amount of time as we wanted to be faithful to kind of get you out on time, is that hopefully one thing that you're taking away um, from this is that even though there's a lot of stuff that you don't quite fully know yet, there are opportunities for further equipment that we can provide in Josh's graciously told me before this started that he wants to provide all of his contact information for you as well because of his job and his, stu- uh, his just place in life right now, he's able to do a lot of the heavy research for you and help guide you in these discussions. But one thing I hopefully want you to walk away with is that just the encouragement that we're not telling you to know a lot about all of these things that are out there. We're telling you, we keep coming back to, you need to know a lot about the truth. Uh, there was a time I was working at Truett's where a deposit needed to be taken to the bank and I mean, these are things that authors write about, and I literally lived it out. And took the pile of 20s to the lady at the bank, tell her she was flipping through them as fast as I could imagine. And then she stopped and went back a couple, picked up one and rubbed it and marked it and said, yep, yeah, I knew that was fake. And I was like, whoa, how do you do that? And she was like, honey, I do this all day long. It's pretty easy to tell when it comes across my path. And it was such a, I was like, I literally said out loud, out loud that is a huge spiritual lesson. Right when you know the truth so well, right? <laughs> but when you know the truth so well, the second that anything false comes across, at least the appropriate red flags are there. So, our our encouragement is to know know your gospels, know know Jesus's life and ministry. Read the Bible, uh, be familiar with these texts. Anything that you know throws up question that we don't understand about our faith, dig into a, a better and deeper understanding so that we're more prepared for this. So, um, questions.
2: Anybody? Yeah. Uh, this question goes to Adam. As far as, like, the Church of Rome, they would definitely affirm a lot of our understanding of, like, the Trinity and stuff like that. So how, how do we deal with them, like, on an end-of-one-on-one basis? Because, I mean, I find it hard because, I mean, they're they're quoting the Apostles' Creed, and I'm quoting the Apostles'
1: Creed, you know? You're talking about just Catholics in general? Yeah, yeah. You said that they may or may not be Christians. Yeah, and so, I I mean, the first point of contact with them would be ultimately what do they believe salvation is tied to, um, and really dialoguing with them about their belief of justification and the basis of justification, how do works play into that. Just as Josh was talking about with any of these groups, understanding what James 2 means when it talks about faith and works being kind of meshed together um, is an important aspect. But if if I was... Dialoguing with a Catholic, I would definitely um, stay focused on their understanding of um, salvation, justification, and how works tie into that. Because they, they will potentially believe a lot of the um, the same things that we do, at, at least in terminology standpoint. Um, some of them are going to have more true beliefs about Mary, in in, a, in accordance with what you think of from a Catholic church. Others are going to be completely unaware of how Mary fits into that. There's a lot of nominal Catholics um, for sure. Um, People that grew up Catholic at one point have not been to Mass in in decades but would still label themselves as a Catholic. So it kind of goes back to what Josh was saying too. You you may be dialoguing with somebody who doesn't even know what what a Catholic believes. So I I think working off of just what is their understanding of what it means to be saved and and what does it mean to be accepted in in the eyes of God um, would be where I would go with that.
2: I tried to um, approach my neighbor, Miss Millie, with the um, deity that Jesus claimed uh, throughout the New Testament, and um, so I, like, wrote out the scriptures, and I handed it to her one day, and she came back, and she kept, she, like, underlined them all, and was like, he claimed to be the son of God, the son of God, and I was like, well, what about all these scriptures where people were worshiping him, and he didn't deny it, and um, she was like, he didn't, like, feel the need to correct me. But he was still proclaiming that he was the son of God. Um, And I was just, uh, I didn't know what to do. Like, is that, I didn't know if I was missing something, a a teaching aspect, or is that just the moment where you're like, you are blind. And that's what I need to start praying for is for the veil to be removed. I I wasn't sure where to go.
1: When she's not, she wasn't a part of a specific.
2: Well, she's part of the Urantia belief.
1: So... (laughs) <laughs> In that standpoint I would say if um, if he if he is if he is accepting worship that is not due him, it it would be a completely unholy thing for him to to not correct it. Um so it really obliterates all of his teaching. Uh, he becomes a false teacher if he's allowing someone to worship him and not correcting it. Um it's probably not the response that I would have for it. I don't know what her Stance was on Jesus, who she believed Jesus to be, or what she thought of Jesus. She may have thought he was a a liar. Um, And and if that's the case, then um, you'd have to go more to the resurrection side of things as to, okay, well, what happened to his body? If he's a liar, where's his body at? Um, But it would be a completely unholy and um, just a a completely unfair thing for a teacher to do to, to accept worship and not correct something like that.
2: If I may add just one mm-hmm. thing. Um, no. Uh, there's an angel in Revelation when John attempts to worship him who rebukes John and says, worship God alone. Now, if Jesus is, if I don't know, I'm not familiar with that belief system at all. I've never heard of it till just now. But uh, if she believes that Jesus is greater than that angel but lesser than God, then why didn't he at least act the way the angel acted, Right. So, that would be a a place that is still within scripture that's an example, kind of, that maybe you can go to, but I'm it out. Um, I don't remember if it was in the video or if you mentioned earlier that Jehovah's Witnesses having a different Bible. Can you expound on that a little bit? Because I don't know. I just know that the Mormons use the KJV in.
0: Since I'm unpracticed in this, I'll attempt to you correct. So from my understanding, uh, yeah. they use something called the New World Translation, the NWT, um, and they really hold to that one translation. They don't have any other books, but they do have other sources of, of um, I wouldn't know if you'd call it inspiration or whatnot, but in their printed magazines, right, with the Watchtower Society. So what's your understanding of that?
2: Yeah, so for Jehovah's Witnesses, the New World Translation, um, what they'll tell you is, we accept the validity of other translations, but we think the New World is the best. Now, when you try to take them in passages that are problematic for their beliefs, then suddenly a the New World Translation becomes their final authority, and all other translations are thrown out the window. Um, a good example of this is he was mentioning earlier about worship to Jesus, In the newer translation, the translators of the new world consistently translate the Greek word proskuneo, which is to worship, um, as obeisance. So if you're looking through a new world translation where it should say, and they worship Jesus, it'll say they gave Jesus obeisance. Which means? Which. I, you know, Begging honestly, down, I yeah, like it, it, it's kind of like, like honoring someone, but not but it, it's it's a step away from worship, right? Um, it, it's more like honoring a king, which is the way they see Jesus as kind of this government authority, right? Um, so the way that the New World translation works is that a bunch of guys got together who don't know Greek very well and made a translation that was consistent with their beliefs. So to call it a translation is kind of a, a rag on actual translations. Um, and Pressing them on that issue often leads them to say, We trust our translators over the translators of the other one. So when I say they have a different Bible, I mean that their translation is so butchered that it might as well be one.
0: when was that translation first translated? Wasn't it like in like nineteen twenty three?
2: I wish I knew when the first edition came out.
0: I don't know. Yeah, didn't, the didn't they
2: start like in like the nineteen hundreds? So Charles Taze Russell is kind of the guy that kicked this thing off the ground, um, late 1800s. But their first kind of appearance as Jehovah's Witnesses was 1914 in that area. And they believe that Jesus visited the earth invisibly in 1914 and kick-started the end of days, right? And then they had several failed prophecies about when Armageddon would start. And there was one, I think it was in 1975, where they actually lost a million members because prophecy failed. And so they don't, they stop making prophecies, but, uh, yes, uh, both Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses started in America. Actually, their base is in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Um, so in Christianity, there's a lot of denominations
1: and offshoots, and also people look for like new ways to attract, um, the people that they're trying to, uh, evangelize. Have, have you noticed that that's, of the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Mormons? Are there, like, different sects that believe different things? And do they try different, like, New Age kind of techniques
2: to evangelize people? Uh, yeah, so, um, with the Mormons, they've only got two, they got two or three major uh, divides within their camp. You've got your general Mormonism. You have this new movement called the Feminist Mormons, Um which is about as crazy as it sounds. And then there's the old school Mormons who live in the backwoods of Utah and still practice polygamy. And the Mormons disassociate themselves from them as far as they can. So bringing them up, you know, isn't too helpful in conversation. The feminist Mormon movement isn't big enough to really bother. So they don't really have too many divides. Now, the thing that they do have is they have... um, divides amongst themselves because they think that they're unified on everything and think that's a great strength of their belief. They will bring up to you. You know, how do you know the truth? And there's so many denominations and there's so many, how do you know who's right? Don't y'all have, y'all have different interpretations. You don't have prophets. How do you figure this out? Um, but really I've managed to get more missionaries to fight each other on their own theology once. (laughs) so, So, you know, just like everyone else in the world, uh, they have their own private beliefs about things um, that may differ from the main what they're supposed to believe or they may just not even know what they're supposed to believe. Um, Jehovah's witnesses uh, don't have as much of that uh, within their camp because they're uh, have more of a persecution complex kind of. Um, and they're, they're very uh, they're a lot more cultic in kind of the classic sense of the cultic word. Where it's, it's very tribal, it's very, um, uh, you, you get, if you get disfellowshipped, you get ostracized from your family, your friends, like, it, it, it's a lot more unified because of that. Um, in terms of whether they start using new techniques, they absolutely do. I mean, we saw it with that Mormon video, right? The Mormons are, are and, and they're allowing missionaries to have phones and Facebook. Um, they're, they're, they've started to compromise on certain uh, moral issues out in Utah. Um, regarding, like, the sexual revolution and certain things like that. Um, So, yeah, they're definitely... um, When you have progressive open revelation like the Mormons do, then you can bend and sway with the culture in order to attract people. Will a Mormon be very well-versed in the New Testament as a Jehovah's Witness would be? Because my my encounter is they're going to be more well-versed in the Book of Mormon than in the New Testament. Now I don't know if that's been your experience or not. Uh, yeah, ab- absolutely. Um, and, and even the areas where they're well-versed in the Book of Mormon tend to just be the areas that they were taught in their, tra- if they're missionaries anyway, that they were taught in their training um, to be well-versed in. They're often not well-versed in a lot of the other obscure pash- passages. Like there's a an area where a dude literally becomes like Emperor Palpatine and zaps the guy with lightning and disintegrates him in the Book of Mormon. And I brought that up with a missionary one time. They're like, where is that? (laughs) Um, I had to go show them. uh, But yes, you're absolutely right. Jehovah's Witnesses will be very well versed in the New Testament. They're not as well versed in the Old. And that's why the Old Testament is very powerful with them, um, as well as the New. But they, they tend to be focused on the New Testament. And then Mormons tend to be familiar with parts of the New Testament, but not much of it. And familiar with the Book of Mormon.
0: Is your goal every time you meet with one of them to convert them every time or is it a progressive thing? I wouldn't think it would be have this explosive day where you converse with them all day and then all of a sudden they're Christians. I mean,
2: yeah, no, I mean, I wish that happened every time. (laughs) Um, That would be amazing. But uh, no. Um, So, you know, my goal, if I just run into them spontaneously, my goal is to share the gospel with them. Uh, if I can, if I can get there in a the conversation, that's my goal. So bringing up, asking them about who Jesus is and, and what the gospel is. Um, especially with Mormons, they always end by giving their personal testimony. And if you ask them, they will listen to yours. If you say, I'll let you give yours, if you let me give mine. And then you just share the gospel with them. That's what I do. Because um, <laughs> I, I, I tend to stray away from too many personal details because... Subjective experience is such a final authority for Mormons um, With Jehovah's Witnesses it's a lot more Head knowledge kind of combative is their mentality um, And so in that area it is like get to who Jesus is get to the gospel Share it with them faithfully and that's all you can be is faithful to the truth um, You know people who do ministry to Mormons will hear years later, months later, they'll get letters, they'll they'll get Facebook messages, whatever from people that they had one conversation with that, that just, it spurred them on to study what they believed where they hadn't before, or, you know, they went home and started really questioning things after their mission and actually started looking up things on the internet that, you know, you had mentioned the conversation or started reading their Bible and just came to realize that you were right. Um, the Holy Spirit will do what he wants and all you can do is be faithful to, to proclaim the gospel to them. So, um, it sounds like you're getting into conversations with Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses beyond maybe those who just show up to your door. How, how are you doing that? Very carefully. <laughs> um, I, tomorrow as well. Yeah, I'm going to a Mormon Bible study tomorrow night and how that happened was I have a friend of mine who's also interested in reaching out to Mormons and she's a much more personable person than I am. And she just asked if I could come along, you know, so, um, often it's been, um, running into them on, on, on the street, just like Jehovah's Witnesses. I was doing mentorship in Michigan, uh, two years ago, and they just popped up every day at the college campus where some students in the college ministry that the church I was at were going to, and they called me and said, cause they knew I was interested in that kind of thing. And they said, Hey, they're here every day. And so I went out with college students and every day. Um, we talked to him. So, um, it, it's just been something that just has been happening in my life enough where I realized that I needed to study it more. And, um, it, it, it comes in seasons. I mean, I, I'm not always talking to Mormons all the time. Um, I'll go a couple months without seeing a Mormon or Jehovah's witness. Um, actually but, I haven't seen much at all,
0: but so. you also have gone, Josh just told me, uh, he's also gone to a Mormon f- meeting mm-hmm. hall, right? Yeah. Okay. Meeting hall. Uh, yeah. to uh, one of those and, and actually gone through the tour there and stuff like that. So he's being very intentional to place himself there as well beyond just kind of waiting for them to come.
2: There's a great advantage you have with an unbeliever that you can literally go on to mormon.org and click a button and two will show up at your house at your requested date and time. Right? Like, you you know, uh, it, it, it's incredible, right? Like, they're literally, they will come to you. You just have to ask. I mean, g- getting getting into their community um, with Mormons is typically very easy because they emphasize community so much. You just have to, it, it's just a time investment. And a lot of people have that kind of time. I do. <laughs> um, and Jehovah's Witnesses is more difficult. If they even think that you're an apostate Jehovah's Witness, they will not talk to you. You have to be very careful with how much you reveal about what you know about their religion and their terminology. But Mormons, man, they'll have you over for dinner. They'll invite, like, the best thing you do, getting in up with missionaries, get to the point where they say, hey, you want to come to, you know, a meeting sometime? You go, and the community will swarm you because they don't get outsiders that often. And they'll invite you to their house. You'll get a couple of invitations to dinner, and just go from there.
1: We want to go ahead and close it out because we want to be done as close to eight as possible each time. Um, We always want to give you further direction. If if tonight wasn't enough, I mean, you'd like more. Um, So we're going to show a quick clip from the upcoming Secret Church that Alex and Jessica are hosting that deals with some of this stuff in a more in-depth way. Um, We're also going to provide Josh's contact information for you to dialogue with him. Um, Jen went and served in Utah for a summer. Um, and did mission work over there trying to reach and evangelize Mormons. And so she's a great resource as well to dialogue a little bit about what they believe. Um, so, so those are some ways to initially say, okay, I want to know more. Well, here's some ways to do that, to attend Secret Church at Alex and Jessica's, talk with Josh, talk with Jen. Obviously, you can talk with Tyson, Adam, and I as well, um, and we can give you some further insight. I think the big thing to keep in mind is the motivation for why do I, why am I even concerned about this? Because I think a lot of times Christians – get kind of a thrill through the argument aspect of it, right? Like you, you almost get kind of a, a spiritual high, man, I'm going to go up against, you know, this guy who, who is kind of anti-my Jesus. Um, that's where frustration sets in real quick, right? Because they, they, they are coming for a purpose. Um, their purpose is not to be converted. Their purpose is to convert, right? And so like Josh said, you're talking about planting seeds that may not sprout and grow for years to come. Right? You may create doubt in their mind. I mean, that drives them to their scriptures, um, to, to their Book of Mormon to kind of figure out some of those answers. And that's great. It's also going to drive you to God's word, which is another helpful fruit that comes from that activity. But if the motivation is to win an argument, I mean, you're going to get, you're going to get really frustrated and potentially do damage to the gospel in that, like, you're not going to be okay with their lack of response, um, get frustrated, angry. Um, and that could be damaging. And so I, I would encourage you, challenge you to really examine your heart and the motivation. Man, is this about is this about the gospel? Is this about the glory of Jesus Christ and somebody worshiping Jesus, or is it about me feeling good about winning an argument and challenging somebody who believes differently than me? Because I've been in that spot before, where my motivation was more to out of pride win an argument, and rarely do those conversations end well. Um, if it's about the glory of Jesus. Man, even if they don't respond to, to to your gospel presentation, you've been faithful to proclaim the gospel. Man, you've been obedient and that brings glory to Jesus. Let me pray for us, close us out, and then like I said, we'll be available to talk further if you want to. God, we thank you for the chance to talk about Jesus tonight to better understand what your word has to say. Um, God, we're very thankful for the fact that um, you've sent Christ to be um, our atoning sacrifice and to uh, be our object of worship. Um, God, we thank you that um, you loved us enough to, uh, to come in human flesh um, to ensure that we could be saved. Um, and so, Father, we thank you and praise you for the revelation of your word, the ways that we can know you accurately and, and appropriately. And God, I thank you that you've guarded us and protected us from deception that is out there. Um, we know that many fall prey year after year to both of these cults. Um, God, I pray that you would continue to protect us, continue to keep us believing in you. God, give us wisdom in knowing how to communicate the gospel to those in this area who believe these uh, these systems. Um, God, that we'd be able to, to share our faith, to share the gospel, to point them to the true Jesus of your word. Um, and God, we pray that the Holy Spirit would use that and, and bring about conversions where you desire um, and that ultimately we trust you with those results. And uh, God, I gotta thank you again for the chance to come tonight. I thank you for Josh and his willingness to give up time to be here with us tonight as well. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to
0: this evening's discussion. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that is www.solvehope.org.